that's like our kid lit zombie week. Um, that that the six ladies in a manuscript critique group I'm part of does. Yeah. So it's all about that, you know, just revisiting those works that still, for whatever reason, have a little piece of our heart and looking at them with fresh eyes, trying to see what in this works, what doesn't. Should I just let it die? Or is there a way to revive this? I love that though. Happy New Year, Verse Show family. And from me and Josh to you, thank you for listening. Here's to 2023. I'm Brenna Jennerette, children's old author, mom, rock climber, and co-host of this podcast. My co-host, Josh Munkin, is a children's old author, dad, and science communicator. Today's guest is Jolene Gutierrez. And if you don't already know her, here's a little intro. As she just mentioned, she is part of the Zombie Week Brainchild, pun intended, a kid lit event designed to help bring old manuscripts back from the dead. She has six traditionally published books, three more on the way, and a self-published YA fantasy, which we'll get into later. If Jolene isn't the definition of prolific, I don't know what is. We talk about her unique journey to finding an agent, how over-communication may be the key to book banning, and what it was like to co-author two books with her kids. This episode is filled with gems, so let's get to it. Here's Jolene's verse. Things became very chaotic here at work as well, like lots of people out sick and shifting schedules as well. So I appreciate you guys making the time to meet today. Thank you. Oh, we appreciate you. I mean, I know you're you're busy and you're like actually at your job. Like our listeners, you can't see her, but like she's at her job. She made space for us. She put up her sign. She was like, don't come in here. Like I, I am podcasting. So thank you so, so much. We're so excited to talk with you. I'm so excited to talk with you both. This is probably our third or fourth um, episode recorded from a library. It tends to be our our, our sweet spot, <laughs> or or like a classroom. Yeah, I think we recorded mm-hmm. with Caitlin in in her classroom. She also was like, because we had she had announcements going off and stuff in the background. I think it was like after classes, and she's like, "You can edit that out, right?" And we're like, "Yeah, we got you." <laughs> we don't want your principal's voice on the on the episode. <laughs> nice. Well, Josh, before you got on, we were talking about how prolific Jolene has been and how that could either be, you know, either really great or also kind of like a detriment to sort of like the creative spark. It's something that you can relate to, Brenna, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I like to write a lot. I have a lot of stuff going on at once, like like we were talking about Jolene. Um, yeah, but so we were we were saying, though, that like so – you can kind of get lost in the marketing of this stuff, right? And so have you been able to write in between? Because so let's just let's just take stock of what we're talking about here. So how many books do you have like coming out or or out? Um, I have three books coming out. Two of those have been announced. One is not yet announced, so it's a secret one. And then I have um, six other traditionally published books that are already out in the world and one self-published book that I haven't read in like a decade. And I, as we just covered, you'll probably look on it favorably if you go back to it. Fingers crossed. I don't know if I ever will go back to it. It's one of those (laughs) things though, too, you know, I don't want to look back, look back at that because you change and grow as a writer. I mean, that's part of what, what we're doing. Yeah. Last week, we started a new segment 
uh, and I don't know if it's going to be an every time segment, but we started a segment called the dead. What did we call it? The dead manuscript society where we pull out old stuff that we're not yep. necessarily, well, I don't know about that. Not, I was going to say not necessarily proud of, but maybe we are proud of it, but it never saw the light of day and we still have a, like a special place right? in our hearts for it. Yeah. That's like our kid lit zombie week. Um, That's exactly right. That, that the six ladies in a manuscript critique group I'm part of does. Yeah. So it's all about that, you know, just revisiting those works that still, for whatever reason, have a little piece of our heart and looking at them with fresh eyes, trying to see what in this works, what doesn't. Should I just let it die? Or is there a way to revive this? I love that, though. Well, if you have one that you want to read on, on the podcast, please do. You can you can think about yeah, it. Yeah, we can and prep you for it. it but... if, if you want. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. Sorry. So what were you going to say, Josh? Uh, I'm curious about the self-published manuscript. What was the process of that and when did you do it? So I did that. I self-published it in 2011. Um, in 2008, I had a friend here in Colorado who like... I had told her I wanted to be a writer. She said, um, if you are not an illustrator and you can write anything other than picture books, I would encourage you to do that because the picture picture book market is so tough to tap into. And so I kind of took her advice and started writing a supernatural romance. And awesome. Hot back in 2011, for sure. And I that's kind of all I was reading to kind of feed to my – um, students who were clamoring for it. And I loved it. It was so fun. And I had a number of agents and editors say, I really like it. We just already have something too similar, of course, because the market was saturated. And so I let it set for a little bit, but then decided I'm going to try self-publishing it because self-publishing was starting to become a hot thing at that time too. So I did that through Create Space, um, Amazon's self-publishing thing. It was a big learning curve. I designed my cover. I'm not a graphic designer, you know, like, so there were a lot of things I learned um, that was a lot of fun. I don't know that I'd ever really do it again um, because it was so much work and it, you know, it still exists in the world, but it's really gone nowhere, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I have not written a young adult novel since then though. I was going to say, at what level is it young adult? It's young that's kind of the sweet spot for supernatural romance. Not so much yeah. picture, picture books. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And there was a little bit of language. There's a sex scene in it. And so some of my students read it and I think they liked it, but they also were like, oh, Miss Gutierrez. Like, this is really awkward. So if I'm going to continue publishing young adult or anything like that, I think I need to change my, I have a, need to have a pen name for that genre. It's just too right. awkward. Oh, right. I feel like, yeah, like I, I feel like it would be hard for me to write a sex scene anyways. And then to have other people read it on top of that would be like, oh my gosh, I don't, I, I don't know. Back, like, never mind, never mind, never mind. Like I'm working on a middle grade and it does have a love story in it, but middle grade is like a whole different beast, right? It's like very sweet and there's like hand holding, and then there's like one kiss and that's it. Like, that is like totally fine. Like that I can handle. Right. But like, I don't want to, <laughs> it's like very, cause writing is so vulnerable anyways. And a lot of that comes from your own life, right. Your own experience. Yeah. Like the, you know, it's like you're, you're just writing yourself on the page. So like there are scenes in there that I remember from like, 
old relationships or old boyfriends or whatever. And they're very like watered down and just like sort of sweet, but like the sentiment is there. Mm-hmm. So, but for writing a YA, if I wrote a sex scene, like I would have to, I would have to write that from my own brain. So like, I don't, I don't want that out in the world. Yeah. Same. I mean, it's out in the world. <laughs> Well, I mean, I didn't mean like for you specific. I just meant like, yeah, that would be hard to write. And also I would probably do a pen name, like you're saying. That seems yeah. like a good, a good move. And I'm not saying I, I wouldn't want to read the sex scenes you wrote. I'm saying I'm, I'm embarrassed getting more sex scenes <laughs> yeah. out there. That's what I'm saying, to be clear. <laughs> we have not, this is a whole new, a whole new realm for our podcast. <laughs> sex scenes don't enter into most of kid lit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, I I'm curious before we move off the indie published book thing, was uh was the administration at school aware that you were doing that? Certainly the your students were. Yeah, they were. And it was I mean, it was some of my coworkers who were buying books for their kids and I was saying ah, like I was being more critical of my own writing in terms of the content and what was in there than I am as a librarian usually. Usually I'll say to a student there might be some inappropriate language. There could be some sex scene or scenes or some violence in here. If you don't feel comfortable, bring it back. But with my own book, when I was talking about it to, and I, I don't like to sell my own stuff. You know, I don't want to be right. self-serving in that way. Um, but people celebrated it here at school. I've been at this school for a long time. So we've all kind of grown up together and we know each other here. And I was really, really careful. And I told all of them, there is a sex scene there. You know, like I was very specific because I didn't right. want them to feel that that I was corrupting their children or that, you know, and I would contact parents of the kids before I would let them check out my book. Again, much more cautious than I am with any other books on these shelves because I don't know. So that was also an awkward piece. Um, it's so much more comfortable to say, here's a middle grade or here's a young adult, you know, like that. I mean, right. I, picture book, sorry, rather than the young adult. Yeah. 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 I mean, this, this reminds me of the conversation we had with Jocelyn Rich, who wrote about butts. And, you know, in that conversation, we talked a lot about the, um, oh, I'm going to get, get the history wrong, but the recent example we have of something that's completely innocent, um, costing somebody his job, um, you know, leading to yeah. book challenges <laughs> and things like that. So, you know, that's, that's dicey ground to, to tread on for sure. It is. Um, I mean, my YA book that was in 2011 times were a little bit different then. Um, and the school that I'm at, it's, it's a small ish private school for kids with learning differences so much of my administration and so many of my coworkers are so supportive. Um, I've never had a book challenged here. I do communicate with parents because we're we're a second through twelfth grade school. So I do reach out to parents to communicate sometimes if there's a book that I feel may be a problem. and I and that's open communication between the student and I before I reach out to the parents, like, hey, I probably, you know, just for communication's sake, need to check in with your parents. So that is different than like a public library. So I do try to keep that communication open and make sure parents are okay. We're not a religious school of any sort. And so many of our kids have struggled with reading that honestly, the majority of our parents are just thankful that they're reading. 
that they've found something that they like. And I mean, it's, you know, and so- I don't care what they're reading, just give them a book, right? <laughs> right. Really, um, that really is oftentimes the case, you know, like they just are overjoyed that their child is bringing home a book. But I always try to let them know, like, I don't want to get in their way of whatever is okay in their family, whatever's right in their family. And having those communications- and because we're small enough to do that, I think has has changed things a lot. And we've done, I mean, I've done lessons in here with my students about book banning and, um, you know, shown them some books that have been challenged or banned and talked about why they have been challenged or banned. And then we have class discussions. Do you think it's right that this was challenged? Um, do you agree with that? Do you think we should take this book away from everyone? And the resounding answer with my students is always like, no, no, we don't want to take that book away from everyone. If we don't want to check it out, that's our choice, but we don't want to take it away from everyone. And that's like the kids get it. It's just some of our adults in some some places don't always understand that. The vocal minority, right. I mean, I, I love, I mean, your, your point's really well made. I love the over-communication, not over-communication, but appropriate communication approach that's, I mean, really tough to scale, but um, really great that you've got the support to leave those communication channels open with parents. Uh, brings them into the education space a lot better than otherwise. Yeah. It's so, it's so proactive. I feel like, you know, miscommunication is a lot of what this comes down to in terms of book banning specifically, right? I mean, a lot of other issues could also be solved by, you know, more communication, but I feel like being so proactive about it and just being like, look, this one might be problematic for you. I'm just, you know, I'm letting you know, I'm going to talk to your parents and I'm talking to the parents and the parents are involved and everybody is like on the same page. I mean, I feel like people, yeah, they'd be less likely to challenge or ban something if they're on board with it, if they're aware of it and they can have a conversation and they can have some sort of like say in what is okay at their house and what isn't okay. But that, you know, I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it has served me well um, because it's, I think they feel the respect, like not trying to tell you what's right for your family. Right just trying to reach out and see if this is acceptable or not. And if not, I'm happy to make note of that on your child's file and guide them in another way. Um, but yeah, that communication, it's, I'm thankful to be able to do that. And I think parents are thankful to hear from me when I can do that. There are always things that slip through the cracks, but they can see I'm, I'm kind of doing my best, you know? Yeah. I think respect is another piece of the puzzle, definitely, to feel like, their voice matters. Like you're not just trying to like slip yes. their kids these books, right? And just like on the down low, like, I don't think this is going to be cool, but you should definitely read it anyways. It's like, well, no, let's like involve everybody and just see. Because yeah, I mean, people don't want to be taken advantage of or like have something happen behind their back. So like being upfront, I feel like even if it's a book that they do think is problematic, is going to be way less likely that they have a problem with it, right? Like, okay, well, I, I get it. And you want to read. And like you're saying, people are psyched to have their kids read regardless. So like, okay, let's do this, right? Like, just get, you know, get these books in their hands. I actually, we were talking about cookie, cookie pitch right before you came on, Josh. And I, um, I wrote a cookie pitch, the ABCs of banned books for today. So that was my cookie pitch. So this is very on, this is very That's on topic. Awesome. Yeah. And I did see, I saw what you said, Josh, yeah, there are several other pitches about banned books yeah. out there for today too. So you'll have to take a look. It's on our minds a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
little bit. Yeah. Um, I bet you did not expect to lead the conversation with your indie published book that you don't want to read again, though, after 10 <laughs> years. <laughs> And have that lead to a discussion of book challenges. <laughs> I love that. I love it. It kind of fits. Um, yeah, I love right. It, really fun. Yeah. it does. So you have so you have six other published books, and then three more coming out. Yes. So did you? How long have you been with Caitlin? Like, was she a part of those published books as well, or did that happen before her? That happened before her. Um, but it was part of my journey to her, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And prior to her and I becoming agent and client, we we were and we still are critique partners. And we knew each other from the writing contest world. And, you know, like, so we had known of each other for a while. I struggled. Once Caitlin started agenting, I was like, oh, I really you know, how amazing would that be? But I also didn't feel ethically like it was maybe a right, a a proper thing to do. Um, And she had asked me a few times to query her and because she, she gets my writing. She loves my writing. She knew my writing because we had been critique partners. And I hemmed and hawed for a few months about that and just wasn't sure if it was the right thing to do. And then kind of had this realization after she had really connected with and understood one of my critique pieces, I realized like, here is someone who does, who gets me, who knows what I'm trying to do, who makes my writing better. Like, What, you know, and so we had a discussion too. Like, do you think this will be a detriment to our friendship? Do you think we can do this professionally? And we both agreed, I think so. And we can communicate and we can always change things if we need to. But it has been like the best decision I ever made. And I'm part of me is like, why did I wait? I just, I didn't want, I didn't want to do something that I shouldn't do. I didn't want to be taking advantage of a situation. And once she was able to kind of convince me, you're not taking advantage of anything. I'm not just offering representation to friends or whatever, you know, like right, I love yeah. even it. Once I was able to see that and understand that, you know, yeah. And she, she is such a cheerleader for all of us. She is so wise. She's constantly learning and growing. She's, She's constantly amazing. connecting with people. Like I cannot say enough good things about her. Um, and I, every time we email, I'm like, I'm so thankful for you. I, I am. She has opened so many doors. So yeah, I did publish those first six without her. One was through a small traditional press. One was to learner publication, which is usually closed to unagented people. Um, but my editor, Carol Hens, had put out a call for nonfiction, um, for nonfiction ideas. And I had submitted to that. And then my other four books are um, from the educational market. And those came about during COVID because of my Bionic Beasts book with Learner. They were in touch with them and got my name through them. So it's all of those kind of came about together because of each other and then led me to Caitlin and she's opening even more amazing doors. Could you have imagined that writing a book about replacement limbs for animals would lead to you writing about Latin pop stars? <laughs> no, no, I could not. That's a strange dotted line. <laughs> 
is a strange dotted line, but you know, like the research I had to do for bionic beasts, the the animals with limb differences, um, you know, I had to be so organized. That started as a picture book pitch to Carol Hens. It was a thousand word picture book. And Carol said, could you expand this? Could you do like five chapters, maybe 10,000 words about five different animals? And I was like, well, yes, because you always say yes. But I, I had never written a middle grade and never written a nonfiction book of that scope. And so it was so much research in a fairly short period of time. I feel like it was a three-month time period that I had to do a ton of that research. And I had one chapter fully written and then contacted the experts and they said, you're not going to be able to publish this because we're going to do our own book. (laughs) And so I had to roll and do more research. And it was really about not, I mean, absolutely those chapters are about the animals, but I had to get in touch with people who were willing to talk with me about those animals. So there were so many people who were over busy or, you know, just couldn't get back to me in time or whatever. So that being able to manage that research and time really fed into the educational market books, the Latin, the stars of Latin pop um, series that I wrote, because that was a very short timeline. Um, I can't, it was a few weeks, maybe three weeks per book that I really had to kind of churn things out and churn them out to kind of a formula. They had to be a certain reading level. I had to have vocab words. I had learned how to do a glossary with bionic beasts, you know, so there are so many things. The topics are not the same at all, but being able to research, being able to do it quickly and stop myself from going down that rabbit hole (laughs) that is so dangerous. Um, All of those skills transferred and it was so much fun and so much growth for me as, as a writer. That's awesome. Wow. I have, okay. So I want to circle back real quick to what you said about having Caitlin as an agent. So two, two quick takeaways. So, I mean, your story to get to Caitlin, I mean, not, not, not the whole, you know, writing journey, but the fact that you were friends and critique partners beforehand and you had worked so closely together is like the inverse of what we always talk about, right? Like you get an agent offer and you're like, I don't know. I mean, they seem cool, but I don't know if I can work with them. I don't know if they get my writing. I don't. But in this case, it's like, no, you absolutely knew. But it was the other side of the coin where you were like, is this, do I know her too well? Right. Is yes. that, is that the problem here? Right. It's exactly that. My hesitancy was not, had nothing to do with, uh, with her as a person. It was because she's right. such an amazing person, such yeah. a person, such a good friend that I didn't want to take advantage of that. I didn't want to ruin that in any way. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm lucky to have known her and not had those questions. Like, will they be a right, the right fit? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You knew for sure. <laughs> yeah. Is she a hard worker? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that brings me to my other takeaway. Before we get to that next takeaway, the secret to landing an agent today, it's time for this week's book reviews. Josh's choice for this episode is a just-passed, seasonally appropriate wreck of a former podcast guest from the before Brenna times, Steve Light's The Christmas Giant. This small tale with big heart and a big character emphasizes resourcefulness, friendship, and hard work. And Steve's signature ink work is top-notch here. For a less seasonally-dependent choice, check out Road Trip, A Whiskers Hollow Adventure, also by Steve Light. This one, by contrast, is full of small characters emphasizing a big adventure. 
Steve has about a bazillion more to binge once you fall in love with his distinctive style. This week, I chose I Hate Borscht by Yevgina Neyberg. I hope I pronounced that right. I'm so sorry if I didn't. This book had me at hate. I know how that sounds, but hear me out. This word has been shied away from in Kidlet in recent years. But the truth of the matter is, kids use this word a lot. And in this case, it's the perfect way to describe how the MC feels about the beloved East European soup. From the slimy tomatoes and bitter beets to the full sea of dill, you can feel the thick red soup consuming the MC on a full circle journey of her appreciation for her roots. Again, pun intended. Check out the show notes for the links to the authors and the illustrators and where to buy the books. Make sure to get your own reviews or library requests in. They're the number one thing that can help an author's sales. And now, back to our show. Anyone listening? So the key here is to just have your friend become an agent. And then you can, you and your critique partner are off and running, right? Like just, if you can find someone as rad as Caitlin, who's really good at agenting, you know, take that leap and then get on board. So, so, so Brenna, your homework is clear. Right. I need, I need to get going. <laughs> Josh, as the unagented un- of the two of us, <laughs> you've got an assignment. Uh, yeah. I uh, props for the compartmentalization um, and, and the approach to the relationship where, you know, Caitlin, Caitlin wants you to query her. She's read all your stuff. She's probably, I presume, read some version of what you would have queried her. Um, and it wasn't like, a, you know, I'm going to pick and choose what I've already read um, of yours and just say, look, let's do this. It was a more formal relationship, which is really laudable. Yeah, it totally was. And by the time that I queried her, who like sh- things had really like she gained traction so quickly in I mean she already had traction in the kidlet world because of her contests and her connections yeah. but I waited you know and then by the time I queried her she took a while she took for her at that time like she I always compare her to the Energizer Bunny you know like a lot of times I would send her something in the in a few hours she'd have something back to me. With this query, I think I waited maybe a month and a half and I started thinking, oh no, now that I've finally decided that I'm like that we are okay to to do this professional relationship thing, I may have waited too long and now maybe she's not connecting. And she so she really she took her time and she said, I'm rereading and I'm rereading to make sure I love it as much as I did to begin with. I really want to make sure. So she I kind of didn't just slide in there. Like she really did take it seriously and think critically before she offered to me, but I'm so thankful she did. Yeah. I, what, what I like to imagine happening is you going to uh, six ladies in a manuscript, the rest of the group and going like, shut up, shut up. Just nobody submit anything for a while. Let her get through my, <laughs> my query. So yeah, I can right? deal with my anxiety. <laughs> And Caitlin's all like, this is so weird. The group has been quiet, so quiet for like weeks. Like, is everyone okay? Nobody's writing anything? Are you sure you don't want me to critique? <laughs> don't pull her in any other directions. I mean, she, yeah, right. she right. was a member of multiple critique groups at that time. Like, you know, Caitlin, she's always got, I don't know how she does it. When she was on the podcast, she told us, I think this is right, that she was a part of nine critique groups at one point, And her husband was like, yeah. Um, you might have to like turn some of these down. Like where you know, like 
it, it's a time management thing, you know, like, <laughs> so yeah, she's, yeah, very yeah. involved. Going back to, we covered a lot of ground really quickly, <laughs> I think, with yeah. your books. I want to go back to Bionic Beasts. Um, uh, and the, the question I was going to ask there is around the acquisition of the manuscript. So Carol's feedback to expand the book into something bigger came post-acquisition, which essentially functioned like a proposal or no? No, prior to acquisition. Um, so she was really interested. Could I do this? Did I, did I think I could expand this? Yes. Okay. So if you think you can expand this, Carol said, I need you to create a proposal. I need you to kind of write the first chapter, give me an outline of the other, which again, I had never done any of that. She gave me some ideas. Thank goodness for Google. You know, like I just, I figured out how to do it. Um, but I then she took that proposal to marketing and they made the decision to acquire. Yeah, so that was a gamble on your part because it could have gone nowhere for you to put in that time. I mean, you didn't you didn't put in all of the animals worth of research at that point or had you? I kind of had to to do the outline, not fully, but I needed to know which animals. So I you can't really tell to look at the book probably, but I put in a lot of thought about different types of animals, um, different technologies used to address their limb differences, um, different locations in the world. So I really, you know, like I, cause I could have filled a book with cats and dogs easily, but I tried to find other stories. Um, and I needed to know that those stories existed. I needed to, I was trying to find animals who were still living um, because I knew that might matter to kids. One of my animals is no longer with us and was deceased prior to me writing about them. That was, that is Cassidy the dog um, because the chapter that was where Cassidy's chapter is, is the chapter that fell through. That's the chapter that I mentioned. So that dog that I w had written about is still living. Cassidy is no longer with us, but his owner was so excited, had worked so hard um, to improve Cassidy's life and so excited to see Cassidy immortalized in that way. I don't mention in the book that Cassidy is no longer with us, but I had to do that research. I had to know these animals existed. These technologies were used. These people were willing to talk to me and then sort of, I didn't fully write the chapters, but I had an idea of where I was going. So there was a lot of research going into it prior to writing that made the writing fairly simple once it was time for me to once they acquired and actually it was time for me to write which is good which would have been i i imagine also a fairly quick turnaround it was a fairly quick turnaround and my dad um passed away during that time which carol didn't know about i know she would have made exceptions for me she would have extended the timeline so I didn't want her to know because um, I my dad was also the kind of person he he and my mom were my mom still is super proud of me for doing this for working so hard like my dad's work ethic is part of why I do some of what I do and so I wanted to make sure I honored him in that way and that I did not slow down our production timeline um, as well. After the fact, Carol found out and she's like, oh, I had no idea. I would have, I would have helped you. I would have changed things. And I knew she would have, but that's, I, I needed something too to, to focus me and give me something else to fill my time with. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, like writing, 
I feel like is, you know, not only do we all love it, but it can be super cathartic for a lot of reasons and just a really great way to sort of be productive, but also busy your brain when other things are going on. Like it can be super helpful in that way. It's not just an escape, you know, on the other end for the kid who's reading it and getting the laugh or the information. It's also, it it works that way for us too, I feel like, you know, it's sort of a, a symbiotic relationship in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, it's what what a good what a good way to do sort of double duty to cope and also just it's just a, it's a testament to your relationship to know I uh, just like I lost my dad several years ago and was not actively writing uh, at at that time. Um, but to know like yeah, this is what he would want me to be doing with myself. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a really great way to honor him. Thank you. Yeah. That's I don't want to cry. <laughs> but that's All right, we'll move on. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, right. Okay, so let's <laughs> So, okay, so let's talk about the the books that are coming out. Can you tell us about those? I I can tell you um lots about two of them and I can hint at the third one. Okay, um, let's do it. <laughs> okay. So, a yearish from now in fall of 2023, um my picture book Too Much an Overwhelming Day is going to be coming out and It's going to be illustrated by Angel Chang. It is all about sensory sensitivity. So um, my daughter is my oldest child. And when she was little, um, I mean, I had never, I hadn't babysat kids. I, I hadn't been around super young kids frequently. So I didn't know that some of the things I was seeing were kind of differences. But once she got into elementary school, it became obvious that she was struggling with certain things. And through some testing and play therapy and things like that, we learned that she has sensory sensitivities. I mean, it should have been obvious to me. I have some of my own sensitivities with sound and touch and like light and things like that. So But that was just like my normal. So her normal was different. She also is like sound is overwhelming for her sometimes. People being in her personal space is overwhelming for her. Um, And I just, in hindsight, wish I knew more so I could have supported her more as a child so that when these tantrums were being thrown, I would have been able to look at what was going on and support her. So this book, Too Much, arose from that. It's like the book that I wish I had, the book I had wish I had seen and read with her and then had that aha, like, this is what you're dealing with. Because sensory sensitivities present in so many different ways. Um, and so that's that book. And it's all, it's told in rhyme, which I don't usually write in rhyme, but it's it presented itself to me in rhyme. Um and Angel Chang has done just a phenomenal job with representing what that overwhelm feeling looks like. Um, and I'm so excited for people to see that. I've seen rough drafts of her cover art, which I was, my editor and I were like, how is she going to depict this? How is she going to show this? And she's done it so beautifully. So I'm like her artwork layered with this pretty spare text, I think is going to just be a beautiful addition to the world. I imagine, I mean, it's presented as fiction, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
with extensive back matter because I love back matter. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the point I was going to get at is there's 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 obviously a nonfictional pulled from your real life element to this, but this is also subject subject matter that when treated responsibly requires a great deal of analysis and consultation and research. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the back matter for a lot of these picture books that I've written. Yeah, it's its own research project. And you're reaching out to experts in the community because I have my experience as a mom and a teacher and a person living with some sensory sensitivities. But that doesn't, you know, I'm not an expert in that field. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of a lot of research. And the other picture book that's coming out has even more extensive back matter and lots of other research that we had to do and experts looking at it and things like that as well. Glutton um, for punishment. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, as as a teacher librarian, I, I use picture books so heavily and that back matter is, it informs so much of what I teach. And if it doesn't exist in a book, I wish that it did. And I'll do the research myself to create a lesson. So um, a lot of the research that I'm doing going into these fictional-ish books end up in that back matter because it, it needs to be there, I think. That other one that has the research doesn't, that, that's the one that we can't talk about, aside from it. I can research. tell you about, so the other book that I can talk about um, is coming out fall of 2024. Um, it is The Ofrenda That We Built. Um, ofrendas are altars during Day of the Dead. Um, so my husband is from Mexico and our kids, my daughter identifies as Latina. Um, she co-wrote this book with me. And then the other book that I can't really tell you guys about, um, my son co-wrote that book with me. Those were both COVID projects when we were all home and working together. And I'm just super excited and honored to be able to have books with with both of my kids that will be out in the world. The unannounced book with my son should be out in 2025 um, and more info about that soonish. But do you guys want to know about the ofrenda that we built? Yeah, yeah, of course. But but also, wow, that's awesome that you have two. I mean, because, you know, we write and write and write and write and write and then you don't know what's going to get out there, what's going to stick, like who's going to like what, right? And you hope like there's certain books that I'm like, okay, this one, like I really, like I need this to be out in, like I need other people to be able to like hold this and like know that I wrote it and put, you know, a lot into it and what, but like to write one with your kids, you know, like that it's, it's a gamble putting it out there because you don't know, you just don't know if it's going to work out and get out there, but not just one, but two. I mean, that's awesome. And Brenda, to your point, it's funny to imagine a world in which not both of those books didn't get acquired. Uh, <laughs> like, sorry, son, um, you know, your book yeah. didn't get <laughs> yours, mean, didn't, that, yours didn't win. Right? Because it's like, well, then it's it's not just, you know, there's a lot more writing on it, I feel like, because it would it'd be so cool to write a book with my kid, right? But then it also would be doubly disappointing to get rejected on a book with my kid, right? Because then it's not just I'm disappointed, uh, he's disappointed, but then I'm disappointed for him. So then there's this like third layer and it just is like, so I'm so, so glad that it worked out that they both are out there. I am too. Um, And it is, it's all thanks to Caitlin. Caitlin has been amazing at 
respecting the projects that I've done that I really want to push out into the world. Um, so she, I'm like, this is my number one one that it matters to me if this one gets published and she'll be like, I'm working on it. I know. And I love it too. You know, like she takes that info and just makes sure that she gets things out there for me. And like both of my kids are young adults and they've grown up watching me write. I really struggled when they were little. Um, so my daughter was eight. My son was five when I started writing for a publication and taking it really seriously, especially like in the summer and during school breaks. So they've seen, and I, I struggled back then, like, am I being selfish? Yes. But they're seeing their mom pursue something that like feeds her soul and they're seeing me persevere. And they're, you know, so I felt like, I felt like I was making the right call. It's not like I, you know, like fully closed the door and ignored them or anything like that. Um, but they've seen this journey. They're oftentimes the first ears with a lot of my manuscripts. Um, so it made a lot of sense. And it's been so much fun. The We've gone through the editorial process with the ofrenda that we built, my daughter Cheyenne and I have. And that was amazing. I mean, it was just so beautiful to see her brilliance and see her shine in that way. Um, it was fun creating it. It was even more fun editing the, and I don't usually like editing stuff, but that was, that was really fun. Um, and my son and I have yet to edit our book. So I'm really excited for that portion of it. Well, I'm just, I'm just excited to hear more about Ofrenda, the Ofrenda that we built. Yeah. So it's based it's a cumulative story based on the house that Jack built. So it's all just kind of layers of oh, I love it. this child and their family creating an ofrenda and the different, some of the different elements of an ofrenda. Um, so it has, you know, repetition. It also is rhyming. So even though I keep saying I don't write rhyme, <laughs> it like keeps You're popping proving yourself wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I have, there are so many different people within um, my critique group and within the agency. Caitlin really encourages us to support each other and read each other's work. And so many of my agency mates have really supported me with the rhyme piece. Um, But yeah, so it's, and Gabby Zapata is the illustrator for Ofrenda. And I am just super excited. I have not seen any of her sketches for it yet, but her artwork is amazing, the art that she has in the world. And so I cannot wait to see what she adds to the words that we've created. That's so, that's so cool. I, um, <clears throat> when you were talking about though, how you, you know, you've been talking to Caitlin about like, okay, this is like my number one. I really, really want this out in the world. It reminded me what we were talking about before we started. So, you know, when you write a lot, like you do, you have to sort of, like you're saying now, right, you have several out and you're working on edits and marketing and all of that stuff. And so now you sort of have to like pare back a little to what you're sending to Caitlin, because like you said, she has other clients, which I I feel like I can totally sympathize with this because I am constantly sending my agent more stuff, right? I'm like, I'm like, I've got a new one. And he's like, okay, cool. But maybe you could hold off a week or like 10 days and then send it to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. That's like totally cool. Meanwhile, I'm like accumulating more, you know, more and more stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'll I'll just send you four in 10 days then, right? Because I'll have those like polished. (laughs) He's like, you know, my thought is he's probably like, Brenna, I have other 
clients. Like I need to put other people out on sub. So like, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? Like, what, what do you do in, in that situation? Get a second agent. <laughs> <laughs> Get another friend. Yeah, right. Become agented. Write YA under a pen name with a different yeah, right. <laughs> No, right. I don't do that. Not yet. Um, Caitlin would still be my agent if I did that. But yeah, so for me, I mean, life has kind of caused me to pare back. There have been enough things going on in my life that I haven't been able to write as prolifically as I was. Um, I really thought my kids going off to college would give me more free time. When my kids were in high school, they were in lots of extracurriculars. That meant I was hanging around at the library or sitting in my car waiting for them or whatever. And that was a lot of writing time for me. And I don't have that anymore. When I'm done with work, I head home and then we walk the dogs and then we, you know, make dinner and and that's kind of it. Um, so I need to find a balance for myself. But at the same time, Caitlin is one person with multiple clients. So I, I've kind of given myself permission to just relax with things a little bit um, because I, I do have a fair amount of things that are that I still would like, and Caitlin is still actively subbing other things that haven't been sold. So um, I'm, I'm doing a little of not writing as much and being really mindful. There's one manuscript that is one that I really want to exist in the world, and I'm researching how to write a graphic novel script because I'm not an illustrator to see if that's maybe a better format for that story. Um, so I'm trying to grow myself professionally in those ways too, um, which also takes time and slows me down a little bit. Yeah, totally. Um, I have a I have a question that maybe I don't know if it's okay to ask or not because I've never asked anyone before. I don't know if it's like you know you don't talk about that. But I'm how intrigued. many? <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not anything super personal. I'm just wondering like how many manuscripts do you have out on sub? at once like does Caitlin do where she subs a bunch or is she a, uh, an agent where she's like we'll sub the one we'll see how it goes and you know we sort of cycle through clients because I know there's you know there's sort of different strategies I'm just interested to know absolutely and that I think that varies yeah based on yeah the the agent the agency um, and what their policies are Caitlin has a few of mine out on sub right now I'm trying to count in my head um, at least two picture books, but there are others like certain editors will request certain specific things, um, sometimes in a call. And so there are a couple of other picture book manuscripts that are just with like one editor at this point, not a full round of submissions. Okay, sure. Yeah. Kind of a customized, <laughs> like Caitlin's like, oh, my client has a book has a manuscript just like that, you know, and she'll sub that manuscript to that one editor. Um, and then I have a middle grade um, manuscript that she also has on sub. So I think, I don't want to speak for Caitlin, but I think her feeling is too, like if they are different levels, different genres, she's more will because that's a different range of editors that she would be subbing to. So I think she's more willing to do that as well. Yeah. Totally. My my agent is similar because he he's sort of of the mind like, well, if it's ready to go, like, let's go. 
So I have I have five out on sub. So because <laughs> I write a lot, I write a lot. And he's got like a backlog also of like, I think seven others that I'm like, here you go. Like, please look at these. I think they're, I think they're fun and cool. But also I, you know, the picture bar, picture book market, excuse me, has, is super saturated at every single level, like we talked about. And so, and also, you know, Dan is one person and he has, he represents other picture book authors. It's not just me. And so I am very aware, you know, that this barrage of like my picture books, right. I'm not the only one. So at some point I was like, you know what, I need to, I I need to branch out and like stay busy with a bigger project because I can't just, I can't just like rifle these off. And that, you know, the chances of all of them getting picked up I mean it's you know it's just not going to happen like it's kind of a numbers game for picture books right like and it's Mm -hmm. timing and all of that so I will still you know be writing picture books but I also started a middle grade and so now I'm deep in revisions for that so it's sort of like slowing me down a little which I think is helpful for like everybody involved so (laughs) so it's also been really fun to sort of like you know figure out how to do a middle grade. Cause like, I didn't know, I, you know, I fast drafted one this summer and then it was like, okay, it's done now. Now comes like all of the work. So, yeah. And that's how, when I used to do longer works, it was summer was my time, um, to draft. And then school year is my time to do those edits, you know, because for me, I need a lot of time and space, like mentally and physically, I'm, I lay stuff out. I, you know, like I, I need the space to get my brain organized, and I can't just come back to a middle grade um, and pick right back up where I left off. That's just not how my brain works. So summer is such an awesome time to draft something like that. But then it's so great, like we were talking about earlier, um, to, you know, you've got these picture books, and you can come at them and work on them and get something done and feel accomplished. But if you're stuck there, you have this middle grade that you could, you know, like I love going back and forth. That's that's such a great thing. Yes. And with the middle grade, it's sort of like, I mean, it is one story, but there's also, you know, subplots and like stories within the story and sort of like all of those layers. So it's fun to be like, oh, wait, I have a really great twist for like the subplot B character, right? Like, let me work on that and then see where I can slip it in. So that's been really fun too. And like you're saying, it's, it's hard to switch back and forth that way. So I need a lot of time to work on the middle grade to like, just to get into the characters takes me, Mm -hmm. you know, half an hour. And then like my writing time is gone. So depending on what day it is, it's like, okay, what, what can I get done? Should I revise the picture book? Should I do a critique? Because that I can do in half an hour, right? Should I, you know, work on editing a podcast? Like, what can I actually get done? Because the middle grade isn't going to work. Like, I need, I need way more time than that. So You guys in your middle grade. <laughs> Come on, Josh. My lofty, my lofty middle grade writing Get on board. Goals. Get on board, Josh. Come on. The water's nice. I can't even edit my picture book scripts. <laughs> so we haven't asked about mac and cheese yet. Or we haven't talked about mac and cheese. Mac yet. and cheese. No, it's almost lunchtime here. I know. I think it still is. There? Are you in the yeah, same time zone? I'm. It's ten fifty-five here. Okay. Well, it's close enough to lunchtime. Yeah, it's it's close enough. I'm. Yeah. So mac and cheese and the personal space invader. That book <laughs> is also so good. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> so mac and cheese are the little guinea pigs in that story. They're really not the main character. Oliver is the main character. So I, I am very well aware that we broke a rule by naming 
non-main characters in the title, but we couldn't, my editor and I were like, no, we just, we have to, you know. Um, That's the way that story works, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's too hooky. And Heather Bell's illustrations are amazing. And those little guinea pigs are so adorable. So um, with Mac and Cheese and the Personal Space Invader, that is also based on a lot on my daughter, on my work with kids who are on the autism spectrum here at work, um, and my own issues with people getting in my personal space. So it's it's about a boy named Oliver who really struggles with social skills, doesn't know how to be a friend, and he's looking at the class pets, mac and cheese, and his teacher makes a comment about how they're, they're best friends. And he sees these guinea pigs are like snuggled up with each other. And he's like, oh, that's how I that's how I become a friend. So he tries like his guinea pig moves on his classmates. His guinea but- pig moves. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let's chew on the same piece of lettuce though. together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> guinea pig moves. That's your way of Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, you know, but he's, he is, he snuggles and he nuzzles and, you know, tries to cuddle with his classmates and they're all kind of like, get off me. Um, and it's this journey of learning what personal space is, how it's different for different people and practicing that skill. So in the book, his teacher calls him over and is like, what, what's going on? I'm noticing some, some conflicts here. And he explains and she tells him about personal space and he has he has a hula hoop that he takes around to kind of give himself a visual of personal space as he's kind of practicing that. Um, so this is another one with some back matter. Um, Annie Lynn created a song that goes with it. I mean, it's like there's, we've, Heather and I have created some activity sheets. I love doing all of the enrichment and extra stuff that go along with the book. Um, so we've tried to make it an easy thing for teachers to take into their class and do a lesson around, play the song, or read the book, or do some of the activities. But it's really an important thing. And that was all pre-COVID. <laughs> you know, like during COVID, personal space became its own, like, not just a nice thing to have, but a requirement or a priority. Um, like a couple hula hoops worth of personal space. <laughs> sure. Like more than a little hula hoop. I need. like you stay over there. Right. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask if you, if you wrote that to be teachable to a specific age group, like, did you have that in like a, um, like a preschool age range? I think it's great for preschool. Um, I always think of my own, like kind of my daughter when she when I realized some of her school struggles as well as my own students here. Um, so yeah, I would say preschool to seven or eight ish. It's it's great, um, especially with the song and adding your own movements to it and just talking. But I think it can be fun even potentially for even older kids, you know, like we've had a lot of fun in, in older classes with this, that discussion, you know, to just talk about personal space and respecting people's personal space, because I think we've all known like close talking people or people who, you know, who are touchy feely and it's, it's tough and it's tough to find the language to say like, please, please respect my personal space. So having that discussion prior is a great thing. 
Yeah, totally. That's, I mean, that's a really important book for pandemic times and non-pandemic times. Yeah, like, especially little kids. I mean, they're always just like in and up on everybody and they, you know, that's how colds and flu season and all the stuff gets transferred. So like, it's it's valuable. (laughs) Book guidelines don't apply to parents. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Well, I was going to say, I know that we are creeping up on the hour. So um, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to say before we let you go? Oh, I can't think. We've talked about so many awesome things. I can't think of anything. Um, If I missed mentioning anybody's name or anything, I apologize. And I'm super grateful to everybody who has been with me on this journey. The Kidlet community is amazing. And I'm so grateful to both of you for, for having me here and chatting with me today. Oh, yeah, we, I mean, this was great. Thank you so, so much. Do you want to, before we let you go, um, tell everybody where they can find you and where they can pre-order books and all that good stuff? Yeah, thank you. Okay. So my, my website is www.joleneguttierrez.com. So it's J-O-L-E-N-E-G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z. Um, I am on most social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, with my name, either Jolene Gutierrez, or usually it's um, writer Jolene. So R-I-T-E-R, J-O-L-E-N-E. So you can find me in any of those places. And there are, there's information about my books, the teacher resources, um, and things like that on my website. And you can find my books there um, on bookshop.org. Okay, awesome. Check your local bookstores or ask them to – local bookstores or libraries. Or your library, yep. yeah. All right. Yeah. And do perfect. do your reviews, people. Review yeah. review Jolene's books. If you like them, put a review Amazing. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Only if and, you like them. And we'll put <laughs> – yeah, right. No negative reviews, please. No negative. <laughs> we, will, we will link all your stuff in the show notes so it's super easy for people to find you. Thank so that you. will be a big, a big deal. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind our cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show, renegenerate.com, and joshmontgords.com. See you next verse. Bye.